Brigadier. Oh, good heavens! Is it you? Yes, yes. For once, I was able to steer the TARDIS. And here I am. Live from the good old days on planet Gallifrey, where all a doctor needs to cure the common execution is a Type 97 TARDIS, a parole officer named Serena, and a trip to Napoleonic France. Come on, people. Sharpen up the guillotine. It's Doctor Who. Podshock. Hello and welcome to Doctor Who Podshock, episode 52. I'm Louis Trapani here in the U.S. and joining us very shortly will be Ken Deep, also in the U.S. and James Norton in the U.K. They'll be joining us very shortly. Uh, I just wanted to make a note that this podcast was recorded last month. It's um, Yes, it's very late, and uh, unfortunately we had hoped that this was going to be out a couple weeks ago, and unfortunately life had other plans. So um, I do apologize for the tardiness of this uh, episode, and hopefully uh, future Podshock episodes will be coming um, to you in a more timely fashion. Lots of news since uh, our last podcast, and uh, we're going to get to all of them um, in a next, in in a future Doctor Who podcast with um, when James and Ken are in the news section. But just um, some of the highlights of that is uh, the Sci-Fi Channel, as you know, will be showing the 2006 uh, David Tennant series on, I believe it's September 29th. But in addition to that, they're also marathoning Doctor Who episodes. I believe starting from that morning, as early as 8 in the morning, I believe, Eastern Time in the U.S., they'll be, uh, and if I'm not mistaken, they're starting with Dalek and moving uh, towards to Parting of the Ways uh, before uh, the Christmas Invasion at 8 o'clock p.m. begins and followed by New Earth. Um, Also coming to America is um, Doctor Who, the 2005 series on the BBC America, that's happening in November. Yes, the anniversary of month of Doctor Who. We'll see Doctor Who return to BBC America. That's the Christopher Eccleston series, a 2005 series, or uh, also known as, quote, series one, unquote, uh, will be on BBC America at long last. Um, in more Doctor Who news, um, as far as uh, the classic series, they can be rented uh, through Amazon.com now. By that, I'm saying you can download them and for a limited time to watch them on your computer. It's unfortunately for Windows only, and uh, we'll talk more about that in a next episode of, um, well, in a future episode of Doctor Who Podshock. Uh, the uh, Doctor Who, um, the 2006 series with David Tennant, uh, will be, um, since we're 
<laughs> don't mean to be so U.S. centric here, but um, but actually this extends to all of North America, including Canada. Uh, the 2006 series uh, will be on will be released on DVD on the 16th of January in North America, just in time to miss the holiday buying season. But uh, hey, it's better than uh, February 14th as it was last year, so it's a month earlier. Uh, we're just hoping that we were going to get it, you know, you know, maybe like a few weeks before the holidays to cash in on the holiday buying season, and uh, it makes a wonderful gift. But Maybe you could wrap up a gift a gift certificate. Get that out of my mouth and uh, put that um, you know give that to um, the person that you care about, even if that person is yourself. Anyway, this is going to be a break from our regular format as we are doing a special show. We're interviewing um, sound designer and composer Mark Ayers, and he has a long history of Doctor Who, both. Um, past and present. Yes, I said present. Um, concerning the present series, and we'll be talking. To, to, we'll be talking to him right after this break. And before I go to the break, I just want to give you the genesis of how this all came about and how we got Mark on the program. Uh, well, partly, you know, part of the reason is because uh, way back when Joe Barlow from Cinema Slave Podcast. Uh, wrote into us in feedback, and uh, he uh, it was a two-parter question. And at the time, we had promised that we were going to get back to uh, the other part, and the other part is this: uh, he had written, um, and I quote, "Doctor Who has one of the seminal theme songs in TV history. Few would challenge its status as a classic, but I, <clears throat> but I have not been able to locate any information about the composition of the theme." nor its constant evolution, or should I say regeneration, over the course of the series. Any idea how this great tune, which is futuristic and timeless at the same time, came into existence? So, in the process of uh, answering that question to Joe, um, we decided on getting um, Mark Ayers on the show, because he has uh, great knowledge on its history, but also Mark Ayers is also, as I indicated, has a history of his own um with Doctor Who, and um, he's currently still involved with many projects, and uh, you'll learn more about that in this episode. So um, stay tuned. We'll be right back with that interview, along with uh, Ken and James will be joining me. This is Deborah Watson, and you are listening to Doctor Who Pod Shock. Listen to what people are saying about the Sci-Fi Sea Cruise. Dan called me up and said uh, we're having a writer's workshop, as well as doing this cruise, as well as going to Mayan ruins. And uh, uh, you know, I'm like, all right, all right, I'll come. As a writer, I want to get more tips, find out a little bit more about what can help me in my craft. You're basically taking a vacation with the actor, even though it's not planned that way. It just happens. It was just a chance to meet fans, meet people, and be sure that I wasn't the only one on the entire planet that was watching it, essentially. I guess just to have fun and hang out with different people. I'm just glad to be in the nice weather. So I would love to do this every year. You'll have a great time, too, meeting your favorite celebrities on the Sci-Fi Sea Cruise. For full information, visit our website at members.aol.com slash sfcruise. That's members.aol.com slash sfcruise. 
the Sci-Fi Sea Cruise. Back on Doctor Who Pod Shock. My name is Ken Deep, of course, alongside Louis Trapani and across the pond, Mr. James Naughton. And joining us on the show today is Mr. Mark Ayers, composer and uh, music historian as well, not only for Doctor Who, but um, in general. And uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Hi, guys. Yes, thank you so Hello. much. Well, right off the bat, um, you've composed music for for Doctor Who um, in the late '80s, and mm-hmm. you've done uh, um, you have a, a wealth of knowledge as to the history of music and its use in Doctor Who. And so, we have probably a stack of questions that we can ask you. I know Lewis had a, a few um, mm-hmm. that he's been. Yeah, well. I, I thought we might just start with 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 your background and 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 um, as far as your how you became knowledgeable with music and um, and and how it brought you to Doctor Who. Well, I mean, like a lot of kids, I I grew up being interested in in music, and I started piano lessons very young. Um, we always had a piano in the house. My parents were not professional musicians, but my father was a uh, uh, still is a, a very keen. Uh, amateur musician uh he's a very good singer and uh plays recorders and, and brass instruments and uh i was always around music as a as a child so i started playing the piano at age seven i then started playing well i, I took up the violin for about a week and then put it down again and then i started playing the flute when i was 11 so i i kept both of those going and worked through the grades and uh, really my ambition as a child, in fact, oddly enough, was to work in electronics because uh, as a very young child, again, I was taking transistor radios to bits and working out how they worked and um, building record players and, and taking radios to bits and just, just having fun like that. And that was really what I wanted to get into. But unfortunately, I we have a system in the UK, or we had a system then, uh, where you did uh, things called O-levels at age 16, and then at 18 you did A-levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and I failed my maths A-level, much to my uh, dismay, so I couldn't get into university to do electronics. So I looked around uh, for a way to get into electronics by the back door and I found a university which did a course which was combined music and electronics. So I thought well I'll go and do that and by the end of the first year I'd uh, started to lock myself in the recording studio we had at at, um, at Keele University that was. And um, that was it really. I decided that electronics was fun but music was funner and uh, that was the way I went and I'd always been interested in in television I mean one of the things that really got me interested in in television music was I suppose Doctor Who I started watching Doctor Who in 1972 and 
uh, in a row we had uh, some quite extraordinary music by three very different composers. We had uh, Dudley Simpson, uh, Malcolm Clark did the Sea Devils, and then Tristram Carey did the Mutants. And I just thought this was incredible, wonderful stuff. And I was fascinated by how they did it. And so I sort of stored that up in the back of my mind, I suppose. I was always interested in, therefore, in electronic music as well as conventional music and came out of university, got into television as a sound recordist because I just wanted to get into television somewhere and use that to make uh, make contacts. And in 1987, I sort of, I say, I'd like to say I plucked up the courage to go freelance. In fact, I was working at TVAM, which was the very first breakfast television station we had in the UK and uh, I was working on their their morning shows as a sound engineer and uh, we all got the sack largely because we were members of the uh, the technicians union at the time the ACTT the management at uh, TVM decided they didn't like the ACTT so they sacked us all so I suddenly was out of a job and I wrote to every producer I'd ever met one of whom was John Nathan Turner mm-hmm. and he very kindly wrote back and said come and see me um so that was that really so my first major job was um the greatest show in the galaxy which was uh terrific mm-hmm. so that's a potted history of how i came to to work in this business and uh and on doctor in particular no that's fascinating fantastic yeah because you also did uh, many other sylvester mccoy uh stories as, as far as i understand things like uh ghost light and uh curse of the fenric so well, well, well that that was the three stories i did greatest show in the galaxy curse right. of fenric and and ghost light 11 episodes in total um that was over a two-year period um so yeah i was also doing i'd, I'd been doing for a number of years a lot of these sort of fan sort of pro fan jobs the things that keith barnfather at real time pictures were doing the myth makers series I'd, mm. I'd written his theme music and i'd been doing bits of incidental music for him we'd just done wartime which was probably the first sort of half professional um fan video mm-hmm. in, in that although it was it was i suppose looking at it now a very much an amateur production it was done with sort of professional intent um and, and most of the people involved in the show uh, in putting it together, were professionals in their field, even if we were working, you know, for the fun of it, uh, using low-band video, for goodness sake. Um, so it was, um, yeah, that was a good experience, and that, that, was, a, that was a real steep learning curve, because I, I did, I recorded that on location, and I wrote the score, and I mixed it. So, you know, I was doing, I was doing that kind of thing for many years before I started doing it professionally. Wow. That's great, because... I mean, usually uh, that's how sort of people get into these things, isn't it? Is through sheer enthusiasm. Um, well, that's right. I mean, if you can turn a hobby into a business, it's always good, isn't it? Um, but if you can work on, if you if you're in my my field, if you're in music, or even if you're in visual effects or costume or 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 any of the the, the technical disciplines in film and television, if you can start off by working in amateur films, student films, college films, that kind of thing. You get a lot of experience and you make a lot of mistakes because you're maybe not being taught properly, but you make a lot of mistakes and and you learn from experience what works and what doesn't. And that's, you know, that's a great way of working. Because mm-hmm. um, you've also were a major part of uh, the BBC Radiophonic Workshop, which is... Uh, well, uh, it has been a <laughs> yeah. integral part of uh, Doctor Who 
for well up until it's sort of um, last it's last days really I suppose well absolutely I mean I have to say I was never a major part of the workshop um, it's it's sort of um, be because of the last few years I've sort of become very closely associated with the workshop and people now assume I worked there I never did um, oh, right, I was okay. <laughs> I was always uh, <laughs> I'd met Dick Mills um, when I was mm -hmm. about 17 probably at a Doctor Who convention and uh, obviously you know he was someone I, I looked up to enormously because you know he was doing Doctor Who sound effects and that was a kind of field I wanted to get into and he was very kind enough to invite me up to the BBC Radiophonic Workshop to have a look round and I ended up going over the following few years a number of times uh, just to sort of have a nose round and see what they were doing mm -hmm. and uh, this was purely as a student um, and as a friend of Dick's and uh, I met people like Malcolm Clark and Peter Howell uh, during that time um, mm -hmm. and got on with them very well and then obviously later when I started working on the show we used to have our spotting sessions uh, at the radiophonic workshop so I would go along and uh, meet with Dick Mills and the director so we could discuss the music and the sound spotting uh, so obviously I got to know Dick even better then and uh, again you know going up there I, I I carried on meeting the guys and and yeah they became friends so when the workshop shut down which was in 1997 I got a phone call well I actually got three phone calls in close succession one from Brian Hodgson one from Peter Howell and one from Paddy Kingsland basically saying you know the workshop shutting down we're all sick of the back teeth a bit because we're all out of a job um, but there's this big archive, archive of tapes which, if we're not careful, is going to be thrown out. Um, and it really needs someone to come in and, and sort them all out, put them in order and stick labels on them and convince the mm. BBC that they're worth saving. Mm. And we think you're the man for the job. So, so I, I, got, I got roped into doing that. And um, it was a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, it was a good thing because all that stuff now exists, whereas it wouldn't. It mm. crucified my career for a year because I basically spent a year... Um, of my own time putting the radiophonic workshop in order um so uh it wasn't good for me financially <laughs> was that um, um i'm sorry was were, were you able to take the analog recordings and digitalize them and then archive them so that they... no what we've done is we've basically all we've been able to do because it is a massive endeavor as i say it took about a year but all we've really done is to preserve what's there so all the analog tapes now instead of being in a landfill somewhere mm -hmm. are all labeled and stuck on shelves and we know roughly what's there but I continue now to go through the tapes and catalog them because it is a massive deal and, and there is no will to give it a budget because the budget would go through the roof mm -hmm. so I'm I'm still in my idle moments not that I have any idle moments going through tapes and working out what's there the way it works generally is that I I try and tie it into a project so obviously if we're working on a DVD production I pull out all the music tapes and the sound effects tapes for that story and catalog them and while I'm doing it I'll try and do sort of two, two or three stories either side of it um, so that's just the Doctor Who music and, and sound effects catalog I mean there's there's nearly 300 quarter inch tape analog tape reels of Doctor Who sound effects wow. yeah. Um, it's a it, it's a massive quantity of stuff, um, and it can take up to a day to transfer one half hour reel because these are very old tape reels. They're sticky. They're they're shedding oxide, um, and they take a lot of TLC. Mm -hmm. mm. Well, that's so it's a, absolutely it's a amazing and very you know it's a, it's, a, it's an ongoing task. 
with the new show now in production and using some of the old sound effects, you know, for older uh, creatures or monsters or, or things, are you involved anyway in, um, in assisting the new production team as far as uh, the use of the sound effects and, and um, the, the Absolutely, cleanest? yeah. Absolutely. They, come, they, they, they came to me and said, look, you know, we like access to all this stuff, so I'm on board. Uh, my job title is Special Sound Consultant. Um, that's what it says on my contract. And, and, and basically, I mean, it's an uncredited position, but basically if you hear the TARDIS sound, the K9 gun, Cybermen mm -hmm. guns, Dalek guns, they all come from me. And they will ring me up and say, look, we're doing Cybermen, give us Cybermen give sounds. So I then spend a week getting all the Cybermen sounds out of the, out of the library. This is another way of... of um, you know, as I say, tying the research into a project. Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, I, they, they did Simon, they did K9. So I, I say I spent a couple of weeks pulling all those sounds out of the archive, cataloging them, remastering them, and putting them on CDs, which then go down to Cardiff uh, for them to use on the dub. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm providing all the classic sounds that they are using on the show. Yeah. I think all the fans are very grateful for that because it gives that sense of continuity to the to the series, and um, you know, and, and it needs a caretaker, you know, of, of you know, because it's really history here of you know and it's such a rich history and I'm, I'm glad there's you know someone like yourself that's that's overseeing it even though it is an overwhelming you know task well it's good i think it's good to tie the new series back into the old in that way because some of those sounds are you know classic sounds yeah. uh, the tardis sound particularly i mean it is a it is as iconic a sound exactly. as the the original theme is a theme um so it's, i think it was important that they use it i mean it's slightly frustrating for me because uh <laughs> bizarrely they won't let me read scripts so i uh, for instance on the cybermen story if i'd known that in the age of steel there was mention of international electromatics i could have supplied all the international electromatic factory atmospheres mm. which would have worked great um in that factory but um because they didn't uh they didn't tell me that um yeah that's what they were doing and because they didn't let me read the scripts um i i I couldn't supply those sounds. That, that's frustrating because when I watch the episode, I think, ah, oh, blimey, I wish I'd given them that. Uh, so, yeah, but, you know, they ring me up and they say, you know, we want Cybermen. And, and, and the guys doing the sound aren't experts in, in the history of the show. So they just have to say to me, well, we're doing Cybermen, we're doing K9, we're doing Daleks. What can you give us? But if, I, if I'd read the script and I'd been able to, you know, see, see more stuff, um, see, see what was involved, I'd have been able to supply more stuff. And I, I wish I could get a bit more involved on on that score but um i don't think it's going to happen so the little touches would be what would push it over the edge i'm wondering if there's any opportunity perhaps with the dvd releases to to add um the sound effects you know george lucas from uh, of star wars fame is famous for continuing to add mm. pieces even in the you mean you mean on new series dvd releases yeah that's, yeah no you know, we, we, no that, that that's not going to happen i mean the, the guys in cardiff uh, very protective of the new show, and quite rightly so. And and they supply all the sound masters for the new series, and, and they haven't got time to go back and remix them for DVD. What they're right. doing is they're producing a 5.1 audio master straight off the bat. Um, that's what uh, is the main audio master, and then they do a submix of that down to stereo for the uh, for broadcast. Mm -hmm. uh, so no, to, to go back and add more sounds in later would mean sort of unknitting the 5.1 and, and and going back into that, and it's not going to happen. They just they right. they haven't got time so yeah but you are doing a similar type of work for the classic series where you're enhancing the audio and um isn't it 
the case where some DVDs are being released in stereo when they weren't originally transmitted in stereo? Well, 5.1, if we can, yes. I mean, if, 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 we can, if we can do a remix, we'll do it. Uh, um, there's, there's no way I'd do that on the new series. Again, because I wouldn't want to strep, step on the, sure. the, the toes of the guys in Cardiff. B, today's Doctor Who dubs, the new series Doctor Who dubs, are incredibly complex. They've got tens of tracks going. Uh, to try and reassemble that just to add a couple of sound effects, you know, that's not going to happen. They're, they're producing their 5.1 mixes straight off, and that's it. What we're doing with the classic releases, if we've got all the elements, we'll attempt a 5.1 mix. And what I mean by all the elements, that means we've got to have the original dialogue recordings as they were recorded in the studio, all the sound effects and all the music. If I've got all those, it doesn't matter if they're individually in mono, which generally they are, mm -hmm. because I can I can fake surround information for indi individual sources. What I can't do is take an original mono mix and suddenly magically Separate, turn it into yeah, 5.1, yeah, because that can't be separated sure. out. Um, and there are films they do that. I mean, you'll see all sorts of movies um, where they've done these sort of faux 5.1 up mixes. Um, by and large, they're they're terrible. And uh, and also, you know, we've got quite enough on our plate without doing something which is a kind of halfway house for for old Doctor Who's. Mm. But if we've got all the elements and we've got the time and we've got a bit of money, then then I'll then I'll do it. But I mean, a 5.1 mix of a, of, of a four part Doctor Who can take me a solid month to do. So you know it's 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 you know on on new Doctor Who they've got I think it is three sound editors and a mixer and they're still taking you know a lot of time per episode you know the Doctor Who 5.1 mixes um it's me uh so you know it's it's a completely different ball game now you said that in some some episodes you have the original elements and some you don't can you give us a percentage of as to about how many that you know of uh just off the top of your head that are available to be done separately to be able to create five point one. It's it, we we know nothing prior to the Leisure Hive. The Leisure Hive is the first one we've been able to do uh, because it was the first one for which we had all the studio recordings, and some of those uh, came off VHS copies or Umatic copies. So the sound quality is not always as good as I would like it because the source sound was not brilliant. Prior to that, um, elements just generally were not kept. Um, we have we have almost all the sound effects. There's only a couple of reels of sound effects missing. Uh, there's two reels of Fury from the Deep sound effects which have gone walkabout, and there's a reel of Tomb of the Sidemen sound effects which which don't exist. Apart from that, we've pretty much got all the sound effects um, for the entire history of the show, which is which is remarkable because they were stored at the Radiophonic Workshop. And again, when the Radiophonic Workshop took over in 1980 with the Leisure Hive, they started keeping all their music tapes as well. So we have all music tapes from the Leisure Hive onwards, with the exception of episodes five to eight of Trial of a Time Lord. That's Mind Warp, um, which was a freelance composer, and the BBC didn't keep his tapes, and neither did he keep a copy, unfortunately. Um, so if we've then got dialogue recordings of stuff post um, Leisure Hive, we can attempt a 5.1 mix. But as we know, we've just done Mark of the Rani for DVD. We didn't have all the dialogues, so we couldn't do a 5.1 mix of that. Um, if we've got a 71 edit, that's the original edit of the show, then that's probably that won't be dubbed, so that'll have all the dialogue on it. Um, 
e even some of the later stories might be problematic. You know, some of the later stories we might have the 71 edits, uh, so we'll have all the, the studio dialogue, but it will depend on whether there was any post-syncing. You know, did they get actors in to redo dialogue in the dub? Um, if the dialogue on location was, was badly recorded or, you know, is unusable for whatever reason, they will have post-synchronized it in the dub. And that means if we want to reproduce it in order to do a 5.1, we are going to have to get those actors back. And, of course, they now sound a lot different because it's 15 years later. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's, there, there's all sorts of considerations. So basically, if a story comes up for consideration, um, I will look at it and, uh, and work out what can be done. And if it's possible, I'll try and do it. Are there um, any prior to Leisure Hive that, that, you, that you could do? Or not that, that, not that I know much? of. Okay. No, no. There, there are there are odd studio recordings still existing before then, but not no complete stories. Oh. And uh, and it's it, it's not. I mean, for instance, there is. A, oh, oops, excuse me. Um, for instance, there is an episode of Brain of Morbius which um, was sent to the US without sound effects and music on it. And so that would be terrific if we had the music tapes for, for Brain and Morbius, mm -hmm. um, which we don't. Um, but if we did, we could do that one episode in 5.1. But there's no point in doing that one episode in 5.1 if you can't do the other three. Um, so the, the, you, you, have, you have to weigh it up. But there's no complete story that we know of. And uh, there are very few music tapes as well prior to Leisure Hive, which exists. So yeah, I remember in the, in the mid to late 80s, some of the PBS copies, sporadically different parts were missing, you know, came over with just dialogue and, and the theme song in and out, but were mm, missing I've... sound effects and, and incidental music. I think there are only uh, two episodes. Yeah. yeah, I think only two episodes. I think there was an episode of Resurrection of the Daleks, mm -hmm. which went out yes. like that, and, and an episode of Brain of Morbius. I think they were the only two. They're the only two I know of. I mean, if there's any more out there, then let us know because we'll, we'll track them down and see what we can do. But those are the only two we know of. If we found a complete set of dialogue recordings of of a 1970s Doctor Who, and we didn't have the music, uh, you know, there's always a possibility of re-recording the music. But um, the, the, our first task is to find a complete, a complete set of dialogue recordings, and I, I don't see that happening. You mentioned right. about not having some of the sound effect reels from, from Fury from the Deep. Are you involved in any way with the, um, the BBC, the missing stories, the audio releases, the CD releases of some of the missing episodes. Well, yes, I, yes, I, yes, I produce those, yeah, the, the audio books, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I do produce those. So, and yeah, I mean, th those are all off-air recordings. I mean, we, we've discovered down the years three or four fans who, who rather brilliantly uh, recorded and kept uh, the soundtracks of Doctor Who. Uh, and, in fact, there's no... There's no episode of Doctor Who for which we do not have the soundtrack, at least, which is which is astonishing. Um, right back to Marco Polo, we we have a complete set of sound recordings. Some of them are not very good, um, but we have them. And my job is to again clean those up as much as I can to try and remove as much of the noise so that you can at least hear what's being said. And then we add narration to those and 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 put them out on CD. Yeah, I mean, in fact, as I talk to you now, there's a um, on the other computer behind me, there's a um, the master disc of uh, Doctor and the Silurians burning off because I've just finished that one, which which is going out later in the year. Mm. So that's going to be uh, something that they're going to add. You're going to add, add some narration to and release. Now I've noticed you've gone past the missing episodes and you're actually starting to release like Tomb of the Cybermen and now you've just mentioned the Silurians, which is a great scoop. You're starting to release episodes that have actually been on video. Has, well, has yeah. End? Well, yes. I mean, we we. It it was a great 
thing when we started to to make the missing episodes live again in some way, shape, or form. If they don't exist on video, uh, you know, at the time that we started doing this, which is what six, seven years ago now, um, there was no possibility of doing any kind of reconstruction of of the uh, the video. Uh, so the only way we could think of making these shows available to fans was uh, in the audio medium. Uh, so that's where it started, taking the soundtracks, cleaning them up, adding narration, putting them out on CD, and making those old stories available in some way, shape, or form. Uh, and I'm very proud of the fact that, you know, middle of last year we got the, or was it actually, I think it was the beginning of this year, come to think of the Reign of Terror. Sure. Yeah, the Reign of Terror was the last one of the missing or passing, partially missing stories, and we got that one out. And at that point... Uh, every Doctor Who story was suddenly available in some form, official form, uh, to enjoy, uh, even if some of them were, were, were audio only. And I, I, that was a great, I had a great sense of achievement at having done that. But the range continued to sell, and so BBC Audiobook said, well, you know, let's, let's carry on, let's do not missing stories, let's carry on and, and see if the fans still, still want them. And so far... Um, the demand seems seems to be there. Tomb of the uh, Cybermen was the first one to come out. It was already existed, and sales on that have been comparable. I mean, you're privy to this kind of information. Has it well, been comparable <laughs> to the missing? I uh, I have to say I'm not totally privy to that kind of information. I am I am a freelance producer. I work for BBC Audiobooks. I work for To Entertain. Um, you know, I work for BBC. Whoever will pay me. Um, I I'm producer. I'm not not privy to sales information. All I know is they are still asking me to do more and uh, I know the BBC well enough that if if it wasn't selling they wouldn't be asking me to do more. I enjoy them. I'm a huge fan of them and, and both James and Lewis will attest to the fact that uh, you know I'm, I'm not pulling your leg on this. I really enjoy the audios. Uh, I think they're spectacular and, and can you give me a comparison when you first came aboard to do these um, I remember maybe about 15 years ago there had been some releases on cassette um, that the quality yeah. wasn't as good, the source material wasn't as good. Did, did, take me to, you, you You were first approached by doing this, did you go back yeah. and try to re-envision you know, re the line, uh, relaunch yes, the line? Yes, we decided to start again. Um, in the uh, 90s, as you say, there have been a number of cassette releases they'd done. Off the top of my head, I think they'd done Tomb of the Cybermen, Planet the Daleks, Evil the Daleks, possibly Fury from the Deep. Um, they were done using um, off-air recordings, which John Nathan Turner had had uh, got wind of. Um, but it was it was interesting. There was a lot of a lot of politics about, and John wasn't given access to the original recordings. In fact, he was sent copies of the recordings, um, and there was no re real remastering work done on them. Basically what they did was they took those those tapes they were sent, they put them to one track of a, a twin track uh, quarter inch machine, they edited them as best they could, did a little bit of filtering, added the voiceover to the other track and then mixed them down. So there was no real remastering and I listened to them even at the time and said, you know, well, they could be done better. And I did offer my services at the time to uh, BBC Enterprises as was, but they said, no, no, we're perfectly happy with what we've got, so, you know, thank you very much. What then happened, that, that, all, that all stopped, um, because there were complaints that a couple of them were pretty much unlistenable to. And then a gentleman called uh, Steve Cole took over at BBC Enterprises, took over as editor of the Doctor Who range, and he decided to resurrect these as CD releases. 
And so he um, he came to me and said, you know, what can we do? By that time, I was aware of better sources uh, for most of these soundtracks because other people had come forward with soundtracks. So there are a number of ways we could do it. We We found better sources. We used better technology to remaster them and uh, went at it with a definite intention to produce a better product, which is what I hope we've done. Um, there was only one we went back and reused the previous narration, that was Macro Terra. Um, I was asked to do Macro Terra, and they said, well, we've already got the narration. And I said, yes, but you can't just put it out on CD because it uses the, the not-very-good-off-air source. And they said, well, we don't want to record a new narration. Unfortunately, they hadn't kept the old narration in its raw form, so basically I had to go through the master of the, the cassette master, edit out all of Colin Baker's narration from that, and then add it back in over the top of my newly restored soundtrack. So it was a, it was a very involved process and was needlessly involved because we should have just gone and recorded a new soundtrack. And so when cheaper. Where it probably, I don't know. It wouldn't have been cheaper, but it certainly would have um, would have made my life a, a lot easier <laughs> because un unknitting that narration was not was not easy. So when we came to do Power of the Daleks, uh, Evil of the Daleks, Fury from the Deep, uh, we we decided to start again from scratch, and uh, and and I think the range is all the better for it personally. No, they're they're absolutely spectacular. I love them. I really enjoy them, and I've no, I have the original cassettes. And now I have the new CDs as well, and they're night and day. They're absolutely night and day. Okay. We're, we're looking forward to the forthcoming DVD of Invasion where they're going to be animating um, a missing, the missing parts, um, putting it, marrying it to the audio that does exist. That's right, yeah. So um, it, do, you, do you feel that this might be something that they, if, if this DVD, which I'm assuming will be successful, um, they may entertain doing with other missing episodes? And releasing them? Um, it would be nice to think they would. I, I, again, it, it's been an interesting experiment. It's, it's been the longest gestation period, I think, of, of any of the DVDs we've done. And it's, it's also been extremely hard work. I mean, we only delivered the Masters finally uh, last week. Um, because normally it's just uh, Steve Roberts, Paul Vanessis, a couple of other people and myself working direct to entertain, producing the DVDs, restoring the episodes, producing all the content, putting it all together. Um, with the invasion, we suddenly had the involvement of uh, the BBC, uh, BBC Online, BBC I, and Cosgrove Hall. So suddenly two other parties got involved um, in producing content. And then also... Um, the Doctor Who Confidential people came on board to produce a couple of featurettes for us. So suddenly there were three other parties involved, and it got very difficult trying to coordinate everybody. Um, I'm sure we can iron out that more in the future. But it's again, it's, it's all a question of, of time and money. Um, the animation is not cheap, um, e even though it's been done at very reasonable cost. It is still not cheap. Um, and it will depend really on how i suspect you know how i suspect the invasion sells as to whether it's regard as, as to whether it's possible to do to do more i'd certainly like to do more there's a couple of stories that i think we could do very exciting things with if we went down that route but there's other things we're doing as well i mean we're experimenting with all sorts of ways of this is what i said about the audiobook range when it started seven or whatever years ago that there was no way of 
of cost-effectively making these stories live again in video. There now is. We're now talking about animation. If you've seen the beginning box set, there was the little cut-down recon of Marco Polo on there, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. was, you know, seven episodes of Marco Polo condensed into 25 minutes, um, which was another experiment, see if we could do that kind of thing and and tell the story and make it interesting and still bring it in affordably. So I... I I guess that we may see more of that kind of stuff in due course as well. Um, so yeah, we're exploring all sorts of ways of of just you know keeping keeping it alive, keeping it going, and and uh, and allowing people to enjoy this stuff can, can you give us in interesting idea, ways. Can you give us an idea of some of the things that you've been you know the, some of the ideas that you've been toying with uh, on any of these things? Well, it would be very, it would be very difficult for me to actually give you any idea of the any. Uh, uh, give you some indication of the ideas we're working on without actually um, uh, spoiling uh, well spoiling, spoiling things. things and and announcing things I shouldn't announce. Yeah, we don't right, want to get right. um, <laughs> So uh, I have to be very careful not yes. to get into trouble. But I mean, I can say um, that over the next few months, there's a couple of quite interesting things happening, which um, you know I, 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 I will be worth waiting for. Um, that's all I can really say. Well, with, without... But I mean, I, you know, I've, I've got piles of stuff on my desk here, I'm afraid, you know. Uh, I mean, if I reach over here and grab this tape, this is a DV cam tape. If you... There we go. That's the box opening. Um, that I can shake, and I can't tell you what it is. But, it's, but, it, but, but it does but sound interesting. <laughs> but it's going to be great. We'll be, waiting. we'll be hanging on the edge of a seat now, for that one to be released. That's something that I'm, I'm sure um, the three of us just being um, uh, technology geeks want to know. Are you a Mac or PC guy? I'm very much a Mac guy. Yay! Very much. Yay! And I, have, I have to say that... I, <laughs> As I sit here, I am surrounded by, I have to count them actually, um, one, two, three, four, five of them. Oh, he's competing and with me. <laughs> at, 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 and an Atari ST. Oh, um, yes, I started oh, with an Atari awesome. ST and a TT as well. <laughs> yeah, so, um, no, I've, I've always, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm very much a Matt guy, yeah. Yes. Well, Big, finish. Audio. Big Finish mm. also puts out some some nice audios as well um do you are you involved in providing them any content as far as the sound effects go no uh, they're they're very much um they're very much independent independent they um i know they use the tardis sound um i suspect they've taken that off one of the cds by arrangement with bbc audio but uh, sorry by arrangement with bbc worldwide they i did supply them with the masters of all the theme music Again, uh, because I was asked to, and that was authorised mm -hmm. by BBC Audio, by BBC Worldwide. Um, that was many many years ago. But no, I haven't been involved with them on a day to day basis. They're not licensed to use all the catalogue of the, B the BBC Radiophonic Workshop, mm -hmm. and they wouldn't be able to afford to have the stuff researched and supplied anyway. I am sure. Mm. So no, they, you know, all all power to those guys. Uh, you know, you know, Nick Briggs, an old mate of mine, he's an absolute genius. Um, and he does some some fantastic stuff, and they're doing their own sound design, and you know a lot of it's very good. Uh, so you know they they do their own thing, and I think I think rightly so. So yeah. Can, can, now you mentioned. I'm sorry. Sorry, oh, I just stepped on Lewis. Go ahead, Lewis. No, no, no. If if this is a follow up to what you were just saying, because I was going to go in a different direction. Uh, so was I. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's all go in different directions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was going to uh, go back to the beginning and with the Doctor Who theme music, and it was such an innovative new theme 
um, new um, sound. And I believe, you know, Doctor Who was very innovative when it came to um, music and sound and, and audio with, with electronic music. And um, I was just wondering what your, I, I know you've, you've become such a, you've become pretty much a, a historian on how um, this was originated and, and the laborious task it took to put together this theme. And, and it's become such an iconic music trademark to the series. And I was yeah. wondering if you could offer some insight on that. Well, that that came about. I mean, my my sort of expertise on it came about because of uh, again, I'd always been interested in it, and then I was asked to do archive archiving at the Radiophonic Workshop, and of course, one of the tapes I I took out with um, with great enthusiasm and had a look out was the look at was the was the very first master tape of the original theme, and uh, it still exists. Uh, there's actually two reels. And on one of those reels, there's all the individual elements uh, of the theme music. There's the bass line still with all the edits per note in it. There's the melodies still with all the edits in. Um, there's a little hissing loop thing that is part of it. So all those little elements are there. And I uh, would occasionally get emails saying, you know, how was the Doctor Who theme done? So in the end, I, I, I wrote an article which I put on the internet um, describing how the thing was made to, to basically just for once and for all that when people emailed me and said how was it done i just pointed them at that web page <laughs> um so that that's really how that came about um and as a result of of, of doing that and, and working on the dvds i transferred all that material and created in effect a new multi-track because there wasn't a multi-track um of the doctor who theme because in the early 1960s there were no such thing as multi-track tape recorders so um the way it was done was to record the bass line and the melody line and the harmony line and all the different lines on individual strips of tape um edit them to the right length and then get as many different tape recorders as you could in one room and, pl and play them all at the same time and then mix down from those it was a it was a very laborious hit or miss process um and Delia was an absolute genius at it um she wasn't the only one i mean there, there are other people you know john baker david kane dick brian they they were all working in this way at the time um but delia hit on hit on a a particular kind of magic with the doctor who theme i think i think it's it it belies its electronic origins it 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 almost doesn't sound electronic it just sounds like the doctor who theme it it is yeah. just an incredibly I was going to say incredibly unique. Something can't be incredibly unique. It is unique. <laughs> it, it is. It, it stands alone it as, as a quite extraordinary piece of music, which com completely uh, defies analysis in a way. And I think it, I, I just think it's magic. And I, I, as I say, I think she sort of tapped into something when she did that, which was um, which was beyond the technology. Um, and she she created this 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 totally iconic sound. Mm -hmm. Oh well, I, I think we all agree upon that. It's um, it, it, Ron Granger composed it and then gave it to her, and she kind of went with it in her own direction and and took it into the form that we heard it. Yeah, Ron Granger wrote wrote the original theme, but the the decision was made really by uh, um, Verity Lambert. She was looking around for someone to write the the theme music. Uh, Tristram Carey had been tentatively asked because he was uh, working with uh, Rex Tucker, um, on who, who was originally perhaps going to do the first Doctor Who, but Rex then got taken off that, so um, Tristram disappeared with him. Um, then there was the idea of using um, Les Structures Sonores, the, the, the French group, but that, that 
that uh, fell down. So the, the other option was the Radiophonic Workshop, and Ron Grainer had just been working with them on a, a TV series called Giants of Steam, where Dick Mills and Brian Hodgson had produced a rhythmic uh, backing track uh, using steam engine train sounds, which Ron then recorded a an orchestra over the top of. So the idea was again to get Ron involved to write something which the workshop could could realise. And the decision was to do something which was totally electronic. But if it didn't quite work, he would then put something over the top of it. Um, but the idea was to create something totally electronic with with the other options a fallback. Uh, so Ron wrote the score out, sent it to Delia, and Delia went away for a few weeks and came up with what she came up with. And, and, and Ron was invited back in to listen to it. And uh, as Delia tells it, she played it to him. He, there was a sort of shock silence at the end of it. And he turned to her and said, uh, did I write that? Um, to which her reply was, uh, most of it, Ron, yes. Um, so it was very much Ron's composition, but it was Delia's... Uh, technical expertise and uh, arranging skills that turned it into the the piece of music we 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 heard and of course it didn't need anything adding over the top of it and both Ron and Dealey were very proud of that they created something which was completely electronic completely um uh, organic within itself and uh, fulfilled the brief uh, absolutely, it was otherworldly and it was different and it it defied analysis and it did everything that they wanted this little kids show to have this incredible theme tune and that's what it got. Now, looking way ahead, the re-envisioning by, by Murray Gold almost going back to mm. adding orchestral parts to the original electronic score, uh, almost back to what, what Rod and Grainer originally had in mind as far as, you know, well, if it didn't work well, out. Well, as I say, that's, absolutely, if it didn't work out, yeah. Yeah, is, is is Mr. Ron Granger still with us? No, no, he he died a few years ago, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm... yeah, yeah. No, I mean Mar Murray Murray has added orchestral overdubs to it and 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 made something made something very different out of it. Um, yeah, I'm not totally sure Delia would approve, <laughs> um, but. Um, but you know that's what that's what he's done. So yeah, yeah. We we had um mm. we had. Uh, Murray Gold on our uh, podcast a couple episodes ago, and um, so it was we we got his insight on on you know the music production and um, mm. basically what what he goes through to put together the pieces. And um, I was just wondering what your take on um, on the new series and and the sound and music production goes. Mm. Um, I think there's um, I think I think Murray's done some terrific stuff. It's it's not it's not what I would have done. Mm. But that's probably why I didn't get the job. So, um, you know, good, good, good luck to him. He's he's very much made it his own, and 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 that's that's terrific. It's it's not what I would have done, and uh, in a way, I would be careful what I say. I suppose I I, I I would like to see. I would like to see it in a way go a bit more back to basics. I would like the music to be more uh, more odd. Mm -hmm. I think. Um, we, we were um, uh, we were just recently reviewing the 1996 movie, and I think one of the criticisms we had with the with the music was that it just didn't have enough alien sound to it. Where, yes, um, we, we it's a very difficult thing. You see, the thing is, we we all 
we all took different things from Doctor Who when we were watching it in, in the 70s and 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever, as kids. Um, and there's a whole generation now of people working professionally in the television industry who grew up watching Doctor Who and cite it as a major influence as to why they are now working in this industry. You know, I am one of them. Um, and there is then this whole sort of echelon now of people who are who at the top of their game in the industry who also cited, and of course Russell T. Davis is one of them, Mark Gattis is another, Steve Moffat is another, Paul Cornell. A lot of the people working on the show now are people from my sort of um, age group who grew up watching the show and being inspired by it in different ways. Russell was inspired by it to write, to do his own writing. I was inspired by it to go into music and sound production. And as I said earlier, you know, my, my first season of Doctor Who... Um, was watching the Sea Devils and Day of the Daleks and the Mutants, mm -hmm. and that's what really turned me on to doing what I do now. And you know, love them or loathe them, they are incredible scores. Oh, yeah. Those, um, and very, very different. And one of the things that I always find quite funny is, you know, people who will say I don't like electronic music. It's terrible stuff. You know, it's it's modern avant-garde nonsense. Um, they were quite happy to be, terif to be terrified by it for half an hour every Saturday <laughs> night um, and, and thoroughly enjoy it. And, and uh, one of the things which slightly disappoints me is that during that whole period of the, the, the classic series production there was always a, a special sound designer on board you know every gun sound every door mm -hmm. opening every alarm sound was different um, the new series is using a lot of CD sound effects so you'll hear the same alarm, alarm sound you heard in the last James Bond movie yeah. um, yes you'll hear a lot of that, yeah. you'll hear a lot of um, sounds that Murray's using which come off uh, sound effects libraries like distorted reality so you'll hear a couple of sounds which he uses a lot um, which have been used on everything from James Bond to um, uh, the, the walking with dinosaurs to uh, video Merlin games. and video games and goodness knows what so in a way what is interesting all those sound libraries which were which were inspired by what Doctor Who was doing in the 70s um, are now being used on Doctor Who, so there's a kind of circularity. I, I, I would like, I would love to see it go back to basics, where Doctor Who was was where the music and the sound was really setting the pace again. Because I think, in a way, during the set in the sixties and seventies, it certainly did. There was nothing that sounded quite like it, um, and um, it's a slight disappointment to be that it's not doing that. But I say that's not the direction they wanted to go in, and that is fine. I'm, I don't have an argument with it. It's just that as a personal thing. Um, it slightly disappoints me as a as a right. as a viewer, well, I, but you know. Yeah, I I, I, I just wanted sorry, to. Um, you know, I was just going to comment that uh, going back to Ken had mentioned earlier George Lucas and Star Wars, and uh, George Lucas had said years ago that their whole movie experience, fifty percent of that was 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 sound. You know, was it sound. Was, yep. You know, both the music and the sound effects, and um, you know, he had Ben Burt working on the on the sound design for for those films and. Um, and I think Doctor Who, you know, really, um, you know, had the same emphasis where, you know, it wasn't just all visual. A lot of it, a lot of the feeling you got, and you said, um, as you had just mentioned, Mark, about having, you know, getting scared from just your electronic music soundtrack. I think that was, um, I think Doctor Who was very conscious of that and of the sound. But it design. was, but it was. Yeah. Doctor Who used the sound um, in the same way as Lucas did on Star Wars to help tell the story. Exactly. Um, it's very important. You know, I, I was quite, as a kid, I was 
you know, quite serious, I was quite analytical, and I worked out at the age of 11 or 12 um, that the monsters on Doctor Who didn't actually look very frightening most of the time. Um, <laughs> you know, that they were, they were, they were good fun, but, you know, they, 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 they were a guy in a rubber suit. Um, <laughs> We didn't have CGI back then. Yeah. You know, you could you could see the drawing. Um, so what was telling me that this was scary? Why why did the hairs on the back of my neck go up? And and I quickly cottoned on to the fact that it was the music and the sound. The sting music. It was if the monster, happened. if the if the monster sounded scary, if the music was telling me that he was scary, then I was actually in a way going to get wrapped up enough in it to ignore the fact that he didn't actually look very scary because my my hearing was telling me he was and because you wanted to believe the story you want you were taken up in in these uh, amazing tales um you suspended your disbelief but the music was mm. the thing and the sound was the thing which was saying to me it's worth suspending your disbelief um mm. go with it and and mm. that was very you know that that was a sort of a light bulb going on in my head which is why i like you know why i like doing what i do and you're going, going back to saying, you know, George Lucas saying that the music and the sound of 50% of the film. Yeah, I mean, I, I did a film a few years ago, and the uh, the producer said to me when we came to the music scoring, he said, uh, he said I'm really looking forward to seeing the music. He said, it's, uh, it's, it's half the movie. And I grinned, and I said, yes, so why have I got less than 1% of the budget? <laughs> it's a good point. <laughs> the, the medium of television or point, film, 50% yeah. of it is your sound and your music score. You know, you take that away, we're back to silent movies. And, you know, it helps sell the film or the, or the television show. It helps, uh, it helps add that, that, that believability. Well, Ken, one... it's, it's, it's painting. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the yeah. things I, it, almost, I, I describe it to some people, um, it probably sounds a bit, a bit arty-farty, but, you know, it, it's almost a bit like one of those painting by numbers games. You've got, you've got something which works. It looks like what it's supposed to be but now I'm going to put all the colour in. That's almost what it feels like. And, and when you get it right, um, when, you, when you're working on a show and you suddenly hit the right chord uh, and suddenly the scene comes, comes alive, it is, you know, there's no better, no better business to be in when you suddenly have made, you've made a scene work. Of course, you can completely screw it up if you get it wrong, but when you get it right, it's, it's, an, inc it's an incredible feeling. It's, an, it's, an, it's, it's, it's pure ego. It's pure... Um, you know, self-glorification, whatever. But you know, you you something works and something comes together, and and it is it is a great feeling. It's it's great fun. Well, I mm -hmm. Ken in the past had mentioned on a on a podcast that Dot Two lends itself very much to an audio experience because you could actually like put on DVDs and do something else and just listen to it in the background, and it, it is much it plays out like a radio play almost because so much of the story is being told through audio and. Um, and, and it's one of the unique shows, like which that. is, yeah, just why I enjoy the audio releases so immensely. It, you know, the the little bit of narration helps to paint the picture that perhaps mm. was being done visually. But for the most part, and Marco Polo, you you mentioned it earlier. Marco Polo is one of those examples that you can sit and listen to that, and not have no um, no concept what the production looked like. And hmm. the story still plays, the drama still plays, everything It sounds works. beautiful, it's a lovely yeah. script. The music, Tristram's music is terrific. You've got some lovely performances in there. Um, 
And I, you know, on that one in particular, William, William Russell did the narration for us and did a stunning job. And I could listen to his voice for hours on end. Yeah. And yes, that was one of those releases. I mean, it really comes together and it was, it was a great one to do. And I, I, it's one of my favorites because I think it's a, it's a great story. It's not, it's not typical Doctor Who. It's not monsters. It's, um, it's, it's you know, a, a, a journey through the desert. Yeah. Um, it, but it has this incredible epic, um, feel to it. Um, which again, sort of, you know, it was all done in you know two foot square at Lime Grove, but it it it's, <laughs> it sounds it sounds big. It's it's well, a great big again, story. The sound and the writing helped create the scope as a oh, you yeah. know because they didn't have the the, the sets and and the uh, you know the, the locales. So the the sound provided the sound and the writing. Uh, they, they, to mm. me, they're 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 essential. Mm. They go you know they go together. That that helped create the scope for the audience in their mind, and it and it really translates well, it had, well on the audio. Absolutely, and it it had to be the writing because you know it's only relatively recently that television has been able to afford the same kind of visual spectacle that you get in the cinema and even now you know it can't it can't be quite as spectacular as, as you get in the cinema and you know doctor who now is having to rein itself back you know to three monsters rather than four whatever um because it is expensive um but in you know in early doctor who for many years if if you couldn't actually put it in front of the camera and record it in the hour and a half we've got to record it, you couldn't do it. So it was all in the writing, and it was all in the performances, and some of that early writing is astonishing. Mm. It is terrific well, stuff. The problem, I think, with today's, with, um, with many of today's shows, is now they have the budget, so they said, well, why are we paying the writer? We can just give them eye candy and, and <laughs> just throw that on the screen for you. I suspect Russell would disagree with you enormously uh, No, there. no, I'm, um, not about, <laughs> I'm not talking about Doctor Who. All right. Uh, <laughs> Doctor Who, uh, Doctor Who what's, what, I, what I really admire about Russell T. Mm. Davies is that he put mm. all the elements together mm. the way they're supposed to, where mm. he, he said right off the bat, we're going to do it the way the old show was with the with mm. the music and mm. and um and the writing and everything being as important plus now we have these visuals yeah absolutely yeah it, it's added new stuff to the mix um i i i i sometimes i personally sometimes find the stories a bit fast um i'd love to see them more do more two-parts yes i, I think we all um, agree there that we have all agreed on that yeah it, mostly I to thought, bring back you know, the cliffhanger well, absolutely. Cliffhanger, you know, to, to, there are a number of important things about, you know, Doctor Who, as I say, you know, the music and sound was always very important to me. I loved the fact that it was a cliffhanging serial. Mm -hmm. um, it, was, it was great fun to, um, uh, to, to, to want to know how we get out of that situation. And there are a couple of stories they've done recently which I felt really should have been two-parters. Tooth, Tooth and Claw being one of them. Yeah. I wanted to know so much more about the backstory to that um than we got because it was you know it was very rushed and suddenly we were into the wheel running around um you you could have had i had a big discussion actually with paul vanessa's about that and we we thought that tooth and claw would have been great if they'd done it as a two-parter along the lines of the alien and aliens films so if the first one had been lots of creeping around in corridors um and the second one had been all the action um and it would have uh i'd have loved to yeah. have seen that yeah uh, you know what's amazing is that not only are you someone who's involved in the show and influenced by the show, uh, but you continue to follow it. It continues to be a passion, even though you've got other projects and, and, and doing you know work to to earn a living. But you still enjoy Doctor Who, and and that's you know is is just something that it really speaks so highly of the show when um, 
you're not only influenced by it, you not only get a chance to work in it, but you continue to want to know more about the show and continue to follow it. It's not yeah. like it ever got boring for you. No, it never gets boring. I mean, it's um, I, it gets frustrating. I mean, I spend doc, working on Doctor Who DVDs and audiobooks was supposed to be uh, a bit of a sideline, and it has become almost a full-time activity over the past couple of years, which is not really what I intended it to do. And I occasionally sit back and think, you know, well, maybe I should lighten up and go back to plan A. But at the moment, there's still DVDs, there's still audiobooks, there's still the Radiophonic Workshop archive, you know, we're trying to relaunch the CD range. There's all sorts of things going on, um, and I haven't really got time time to stop it. I, You know, my career has not done what I would have liked my career to have done. I mean, I... I got into this really wanting to write film and television scores, and I've done a you know a, a few of each, but um, I really would like to do more. And the, the problem is, while I'm carrying on working on the DVDs and the, the CDs, I'm not chasing the writing work. So mm -hmm. I I do find a, a, a certain sort of conflict in uh, in intent in what I'm doing in my you know what I'm doing every day. But, but I mean I, I enjoy doing this, so that's not a problem. I mean there are there are times when it you know, winds you up like any job does. But yeah. but yeah, I still find it exciting. You know I've got I've got kids now. I, I didn't have kids in the in the 80s when I was working on the show. Um, I've got um, kids. You know my eight year old loves the show, um, and he loves the old ones just as much as he loves the new ones. Um, so that's terrific. You know. Um, yeah, we've seen that. Our organization, the Gallifreyan Embassy, um, has been around for 21 years now. So we see a lot of our uh, members and, and, and listeners to our podcast who now have children of their own and they're sharing the enjoyment and the passion of the series now with their own children. And that's really fun to see. And um, Yeah. Yeah. Generation yeah. of Who fans. Yeah, there's a few episodes in the new series, I have to say, that um, my youngest son has refused to watch. He's seen the trailers and decided that was enough. Um, <laughs> but he'll, 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 <laughs> he'll probably come back to them, come back to them later. But, um, you know, he's, he's he very find, clear about... Does he find them scary? Uh, oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. I mean, we, we, oh, we, got, we, we watched... Um, we didn't get as far as the opening titles on... Um, oh, dear, what was the Victorian one in series, series oh. one? Um, the Unquiet Dead. The Unquiet Dead. Yeah, we didn't get as far as the opening titles <laughs> yeah, on that. Um, the old lady sat up, and that was it. The television went off, <laughs> and, um, no and we did have to check the we did have to check the entire house for dead ladies um, <laughs> uh, 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 twice. I, in fact, I do that anyway. Um, <laughs> so I think it, I think it's very important to make sure we don't have any dead ladies in the house. But uh, yeah, absolutely, it, it, as a general it was rule, certainly of, very important um, yes. that evening. Yeah, first order. Yeah, so no, yeah, he has he hasn't watched that one yet, and uh, you know he'll. He'll, um, he'll come, come to, to it in his yeah. own time, I suppose, yeah. Because that's what I loved about Doctor Who, is that, quite frankly, it absolutely scared the pants off me, and I think that's what it has to do to um, every child, and just as we've it's, been it's, saying yeah. repeatedly, it's the music yeah. uh, makes a huge contribution to that. But it's interesting, you see, I always had a slightly different conception of the show to that. I, I mean, I think um, both, I've seen both Russell and uh, Steve Moffat say that, you know, Doctor Who is steeped in death, that's what it's about. For me as a kid, that's not what it was about. What Doctor Who was, it was, it was the sense of wonder. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love the wonderful moments, and the wonderful moment um, could be the reveal of a monster, it could be... Um, 
the the city in in Death to the Daleks. Okay, I knew it was made of polystyrene, but I didn't care. Yeah. It was it, <laughs> they were showing me something mm. which was wonderful as far as the story was concerned, yeah. and that's yes. what that that's what was important. And it was it was it was it's the wonderful moments I remember. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, those wonderful moments can be. Um, happy moments, they can be funny moments, um, and they can be frightening moments. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's to me, it was always considerably more than just being about you know about death. It was it was about it was it was about. I mean, it, it's a very very simple concept. You know, a uh, lonely chap and his assistant turn up somewhere where something appalling is happening and put it right, and and that's what it boils down mm-hmm. to. And it's it's if you're in the if you're in the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the wrong time, do something about it. And that's a you know that was a great message, um, and and that's what it was always about to me. Yeah. It was about seizing the day and and sorting something out. No, I agree with you 100% because um, having, you know, living here in the States, I wasn't, I didn't have the exposure to Doctor Who as a younger child. I uh, got exposed to it more as a teenager and, and, and then, you know, became a fan as, a, you know, in later teen years and early and in, in my early 20s and whatnot. So uh, I didn't have that um, experience of hiding behind the couch and behinding behind the sofa as it is and you know watching it that way to me it was really about storytelling and interesting stories and 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 mm-hmm. the um the the what if you know type of storytelling and um and as you said the the, the wonderment of it all um is really what grabbed me and, and kept me with it mm. yeah. yeah okay now i'm going to get back into a heart you know a, a very um x's and o's question as i as i call it sometimes um you mentioned the Silurians being one of the possible releases in the audio line. No, it's not any... possible because it's done, so it's is happening. It... <laughs> okay, so it's done. Um, yeah. Are there any others that, that, are, that we can look forward to seeing in the audio line? Well, again, I can't announce anything that hasn't been announced. I mean, The Ark has just been released um, in the UK, um, and that... Um, is the first one I've actually written the narration for as well. So that was a, a, a bit of a new departure for me. Um, and we've just, uh, I'm literally tomorrow delivering the masters, uh, the final masters for what we've called the, um, the Monsters on Earth tin, which is basically all the Sea Devil Silurian stories. So that's going to contain um, uh, the Silurians uh, narrated by Caroline John, the Sea Devils narrated by Katie Manning, and Warriors of the Deep related, uh, narrated by... Janet Fielding, so three ladies uh, telling us the stories, uh, the 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 Silurian and Sea Devil stories. So those I'm delivering the masters. I'm literally just putting all the track lists together this evening so that I can get them in the email to Michael Stevens at BBC Audiobooks tonight, so that that'll be on his desk tomorrow, and then and then the master discs will go in the post to him tomorrow. So have, so that's have, all done. Do we have a, a timetable as to when we can expect that tin? Um, do you know what? I think it comes out just before Christmas, actually. Um, I, I, I have to say, delivery um, the release dates will become a bit of a blur mm-hmm. um, because I have to keep up with my delivery dates. And if I start thinking about release dates as well, my head would explode <laughs> um, because it's 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 like looking at sort of the same film but you know with a massive sync error. Um, so I, I, I just have to keep my eye on the on the delivery dates and and hope I hit those. And I let I let Michael Stevens um, worry about releases. Uh, but I think it comes out before Christmas, and then I start work on another one which I've got to deliver. Um, when have I got to deliver it? Beginning of November, I think. 
um, which is quite frightening, um, which comes out first thing in the new year. But that's um, that's a four-part, and that's all I'm telling you. Ah. <laughs> all right. Um, you, you mentioned that you you wrote the the linking narration um, for some of them. I was always under the impression that you used the shooting script for that, as far as coming uh, we, up with that. We, well, we do, we do, but um, you know the, the the shooting script is is only used as a guide because mm. um, you know I've, so, so far the narration has been written either by uh, Sue Cowley or by Michael Stevens, um, and they did a great job. But 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 what they do is you have to turn the shooting script um, into something that works on screen and uh, sorry works on audio. And what we've got to tell is the visual stuff. So the doctor comes into the room, picks something up off the table, leaves the room again. Um, it might say, you know, doctor enters room, picks up object off table, leaves room again in the camera, in the camera script, but that doesn't sound very elegant as prose. Mm -hmm. So you then have to put it in a way which actually sounds as if you're telling the story. And, but you also have other things to get across, like, you know, uh, an actor taking the script and interpreting it will... Um, will add their own bits of business and um, will um, embellish it and, and add performance to it. And we also have to try and reflect that within the narration. And do it within the time between and do dialogue. It within the, and do it in the time between dialogue. I have to say occasionally, um, if we've got a lot of description to get in, I will loop a background sound. Um, I do that quite a lot. If there's a gap and I need to get a lot of narration in, I will loop the background. Mm. Um, so you often find that the audiobook adaptations are longer than the TV version. They'll never be shorter because I never cut anything out. Um, but I, I do occasionally add, add, add a loop, just loop backgrounds just, just to give me more, more room to play with. Because sometimes there just isn't enough room to describe a set or mm. something. You know, and, and, mm. you and just, just to have the original um, room noise... That's right, yeah, so I'll just loop that in the background just to make, you know, five seconds into seven seconds mm -hmm. so that I can get a couple more words in, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's, um, it's a tricky job. I mean, I, you know, I have this stuff up on the audio editor and I, can, I, 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 I plan these things meticulously so I have the soundtrack up on the, on the screen on the Mac and I can see exactly what length the gaps are and on. I use a program called Nuendo and I, I, um, I put little loop markers in um, which mark everywhere that some narration has got to go so I can see exactly how long it's going to be. And then in the, in the session I can just go through and make sure that I've got something which you know, slots into all those gaps. Um, again, it's painting by numbers. You know, it, it's, it's, it's filling in these gaps. And uh, I can see the way it all lays out and then it has to be mixed down. It's, 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 a long, it's quite a long process. And uh, this, this weekend I've come to the end. of you know, I've restored the episodes, remastered the episodes. I've done all my script editing because you know, as producer I'm also responsible for the script editing. So I do all that. I then record it all, then come back and then I mix it, and then I've got to listen through it all again to make sure that it's you know there's no glitches in it, and then I've got to master the discs. So it goes on and on and on, and it's quite a relief to get to the end of it. Um, and then I don't want to listen to that story um, again ever. ever. Again. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but then, of course, you know, we did the invasion a couple of years ago, and suddenly it comes up with DVD, so I've got to watch it again. Um, so you know, it, it is it is never ending. Yeah, I suppose very much a labour of love. I, I think if you weren't a fan of Doctor Who, perhaps it might be a very difficult thing to achieve and a, di a difficult thing to do, I suppose. Well, I think we go, you know, because, you know, all of us involved in this, um, you know, myself and the, my you know, other sort of restoration team members, um, we're all 
um, if I can say this without saying without sounding appalling, you know, we're all pretty good at our jobs, um, mm. but we're also fans of the show, and so we always go that little one step further. And whereas I think if somebody else was doing it just as a job, they come to the end of the day and they'd say it was, you know, it's five o'clock, you know, I've done it. Um, you know, we're still here at ten o'clock because we want to do it better. Um, yes that that's the thing and that, i mean that's a good thing and a bad thing um it's quite a bad thing for our family lives it's quite a bad thing because it means we always go beyond the budgets um mm. but you know we, we we don't we we don't charge anymore um but it's a good thing because i think we're producing great product i i mm. I, I you know I, i'm very proud of the product we're producing i look at some of the dvds you know like mark of the rani coming up and uh, and and the invasion in particular i think they're you know two terrific releases which mm. which frankly put most other releases of comparable shows to well not there is a comparable show but you know what i mean to shame yeah. you know i i think yeah. um i i think we're well, far better gone... served by doctor on dvd the three of us have gone on record in past podcasts saying that um, both the DVDs and the audio releases, I mean, the, the quality level is, uh, is really extraordinary uh, in both cases. I mean, and, and we've, we've commented on how other uh, Universal being, as an example, Universal Pictures putting out, you know, seasons of their TV shows and literally just slapping the, the episodes onto a disc and charging a price for it. The Doctor Who DVDs are a little more expensive, but I really believe that you get what you pay for. That the effort. Well, is yeah, there. we we work we work blooming hard to make you know to make a good product. And, and I mean we you know I mean I I for instance today you know I, I'm I've just been mastering the um, uh, Warriors of the Deep Discs, and I I'd burnt three copies of the disc, and then I noticed a spelling mistake on the CD text. Um, so I went back and reburnt the three discs um, just to wow. create the spelling of one word because I'm a perfectionist, you know, and, and I, I could have just left it. Nobody would ever notice it, but I'll know it's there. I, yeah. I spell and, A-M for monkey D rather than A-N for nut D, and I just couldn't let that go, so I reburnt the discs. Um, you know, so that cost me, you know, another half an hour, another, another three gold blanks. But, you know, I, I, I'm... <laughs> I don't want to let stuff go, and yeah. it's, it's a bit of a curse being a perfectionist, frankly. Mm. But, you know, it's... <laughs> Um, that's you know, I, you, I, I couldn't let something go out with a with Anne spelt wrong. Yeah. Could, you know. Do you record the actor's narration? Like, is that something that you're you're in charge of getting them in the in a studio? I, and I, I do. I, I I mean, basically, I am almost entirely autonomous where the audiobook releases are concerned. I I discuss them with uh, Michael Stevens at BBC Audiobooks. He is his range editor, so it's it's his job to 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 crack the whip and make sure that I do my job. Um, he and I discuss what we're going to release. He generally comes up with ideas and runs them past me. Um, I also act as a kind of buffer interface between audiobooks and DVDs because we don't want the same title coming out, you know, at the same month, especially right. now we're doing existing stories, you know. So um, there's all those considerations. So I sort of act as a kind of consultant at that point. Um, we then discuss who we'd like to narrate it. And then um, we book the narrator. We commission whoever's going to write the script to commission to to, to write the to write the script. Um, I get the script in. I mark the script up. I did, did then put my script editor's hat on it. I I mark the script up. I have by that time hopefully done the episode restoration. Uh, I mark the script up on the computer. I then go and record uh, the narration, and then it comes back to to me in my studio where I mix it and 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 master the discs. So I I do pretty much the whole the whole shooting match the way we do it with a lot of the narrators is that i actually go to their homes i mean uh with peter um 
Purvis and with Fraser Hines, you know, they're, they're, you know, we've become great friends. And so what I do is I, I go up and I, I stay with them and we record the voiceover and we have a couple of good meals and um, we, we have fun with it, you know, and, uh, and that's part of what makes the job so much fun. Um, mm. Other, other narrators, I go, BBC Audiobooks in Bath have uh, a small setup down there with three uh, little voiceover studios and all of the Monsters and Earth Tin were recorded in their studio down there. So again, I go and stay in a hotel in Bath, which is a very, very beautiful city in, um, mm. Mm. in England. And um, I, I go and stay there. And, um, you know, th th this time I was down there for three days recording um, uh, Warriors of the Deep and the Silurians. So my wife came down as well. And, you know, we made a little three-day jaunt of it, you know. So, you know, you, you, like any job, you try and make it fun. And... Sure. Um, and, and uh, you know, you try and find new ways of making it fun each time. About how long does it take usually with an actor to to get the narration down for for uh, a particular you know episode? I mean, it, it depends. I mean, it depends. I mean, I I recorded, I I reckon about four episodes a day. Um, it depends on the narrator. Someone like Peter Purvis, because he spent years narrating Blue Peter films, um, he is totally superb at reading the script once and and just doing it and if i say to him peter i need two seconds off that he will take two seconds off it um or if i say you know add a second to it he will add a second to it he's just so professional at doing that um he really knows what he's doing other other voices take a bit longer it's not it's not that they're not good at the job it's just they don't have that experience and so mm -hmm. it might take a bit longer with someone um you know i've done the monsters and earth tin it's three three totally new narrators i've had to teach them each the job because none of them had really done anything quite like this before and um, it's a di you know it's all a different experience for all of them um it wasn't helped when we did uh the uh, the sea devils katie for various reasons was extremely late getting to the studio and we planned to do six episodes in a day and she didn't get to the studio till two o'clock and basically we just worked and worked and worked and I really worked hard and, and we finished at 11 o'clock at night. Um, but, you know, that was that was hard slog and I wouldn't like to do that again. Um, mm. We were both when completely the, exhausted by the end of it. When some of the actors uh, come in and, and you're going through the narration, does it come back to them? Do they ever uh, regale you with tales of, uh, oh, I remember oh, yeah. this happened? Ab oh, absolutely. That must be so and, much fun. And, and, and it's, yeah, I mean, sometimes they'll just, you know, they'll hear a line and they'll just collapse. I mean, uh, and, you know, tell a little story. Um, and, and it's great because we now do these little chats at the end of the discs as well. This was something we introduced uh, about a year ago. We now do a little interview with our narrator, which goes on the end of the disc as a bonus. Yes. So I try and save up some of these stories and, and, um, and talk about them in the, in the chat that we do at the end. Um, so yeah, that, that's you know it, it makes it fun. But I mean, we we don't have time when we're doing the narration to listen to the entire story from start to finish. Um, I just play them a few seconds leading up to the voiceover um, passage, and then they drop the voiceover passage in. And if mm -hmm. they don't remember exactly what happened, I have to tell them because we we simply do not have time to listen to the whole thing. So they're literally just listening to a few seconds either side of the bit they've got to do. And they have to be very trusting. I mean, they have to trust me to make sure that, you know, I, I tell them what intonation they should use, um, what speed they should read it. And, um, you know, and, and, and I tell them what's just happened if they can't remember. And, you, you know, some of these shows, it's 40 years ago. So, yeah. of course, they can't remember. Mm -hmm. mm. It's very mm. interesting.
Well, Mark, I, I do want to thank you for taking time out for you know to being on our show. Our, our listeners are will be um, looking forward to um, the, mo- the the forthcoming releases of the Invasion DVD. Uh, I know we haven't even mentioned the return of the Master DVD set that, that you worked on. And, uh, well, I, I say I'm working on. I mean that that's still here. That is that is still that is still ongoing. That one we're delivering in about three weeks' time. So um, yeah, there's there's lots of people up and down the country working on that one at the moment. And anything special mm. on that that you can talk about uh, as far as um. Well, all the usual stuff, really. You know, um, there's going to be a couple of couple of documentaries on it, and um, obviously, you know, the commentaries and all sorts of things. So um, it's, I don't think there's anything that you wouldn't expect to be on that one. I mean, I think that one's going to be, as far as expectations are concerned, pretty much, you know, mm. on the mark, straight down the line. You know, um, mm. others we can, you know, like the invasion, or you know, we can pull something out of the hat, or like the Mark of the Rani, where we had the um, the unused score for part one. So there's a completely different version of the part one soundtrack on there, um, mm. which was, uh, you know, very different and is something which people wouldn't expect. But there it is. So, you know, we we, tr- we try and pull rabbits out of the hat occasionally. Other times, you know, you you just um, you you do something which is what you would expect. Well, it's it's everything's all good. So we're just happy to get <laughs> yeah, them. They're, um. they're absolutely spectacular. I mean, you know, please. Relay our our um, being impressed to the uh, the restoration team and and to anybody you guys work with. I mean, really, from the from all of us, you know, and the fan reaction, the, we we are really grateful that someone cares enough Absolutely. to put quality releases that you guys have put out. Okay, well, thank you very much, and it's 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 always nice to know that um, the work is appreciated because uh, you know we all work in isolation. We're all freelancers. We all work. You know, I mean, I, I sit in my studio on my own for day after day. Um, the violins will start in a minute, but it but it is it is great to know that um, that you know that, that it is appreciated and that and, and people love it. Absolutely. That's great. And we thank you also for being so generous with your time today. I mean, That's you really cool. took a no lot of time out to sit and chat with us. Any time, man. That's great. Thank you. Listening to Doctor Who Podshock by the fan run GallifreyanEmbassy.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Podshock. You can email us at feedback at podshock.net.
Please say goodbye. Goodbye. It's good, isn't it? Hmm?